Chapter Seven of Essays Irish and American. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Essays Irish and American by John Butler Yeats. Chapter Seven Watts and the Method of Art i have often wished that some great painter had written his autobiography beginning with his earliest childhood saints and sinners have left us their memoirs in more than sufficient detail and we have also the autobiographies of many famous writers as yet we have not had the confessions of the painter for i am sure they would be called confessions since it would have been with a sense of shame that these men including the magnificent michelangelo himself would have confessed their failures at school to learn as other boys learned and receive as other boys did instruction from their teachers we are all familiar with instances of boys who exceptionally quick and clever to ordinary observation are almost unteachable at school it would be thought cruel as well as impossible to attempt teaching grammar and arithmetic to a young musical genius in a concert room where musicians were playing yet this is precisely what is done every time we try to teach grammar and such things to a boy with the eyes of a painter time and experience have at last taught us to be respectful and tender with the musical mind we accept and we understand it and the boy with the wonderful ear is caught up and carried away and instructed and fondled and the world is made smooth for him but how about the boy with the wonderful eye and yet the musical boy is only tempted when music is actually being played whereas this other is never free from solicitation since to him there is always except in the dark color and form and light and shade he will know the shape and surface of every object in his schoolroom and how light falls on desk and table he will know among his schoolfellows all the profiles and all the front faces what color the eyes are and how they are shaped every detail of form and color will be familiar to him since to watch these things and to draw from them a continuous intellectual intoxication is the very purpose for which he has been created for him the eyes are the gates of wisdom and with young children these eyes are so thronged by wisdom trying to get in that all their time is taken up in opening the gates to its inrush in this progress of the painter in this preparation for what if the conditions are favorable ought to be the solemn business of painting or sculpture there will be various stages at first it will be all observation after that will come a time in which the boy will make inferences to him the face will be the index of the mind and looking round on master and boy he will be a physiognomist who has never heard of levator or a craniologist or phrenologist until some happy moment when having exhausted his interest in scientific inquiry there will burst upon him the glorious world of intellectual desire a friend of mine 
an old painter who went to school in the north of scotland described to me his experience the dominie had one morning been particularly drastic in his methods and this led to great concentration of thought among the pupils while at the same time it did not in the least alter the usual current of their ideas my friend for instance busied himself as usual observing form and colour only with a keener zest and as i have said a more concentrated purpose it was a spring morning and for the first time that year a ray of sunshine came into the room making a square of yellow light on the dusty floor at his feet it was only at that particular period of the year such a thing was possible later on there would be too many leaves on the trees and in winter the sun was not in that quarter of the heavens my friend was an unhappy and anxious schoolboy but the events of that morning and the menaces of the dominie combined with the drastic sunlight at his feet made a new boy of him and he looked at the square of brightness which stirred his heart he received as it were his mystical message and some time afterwards leaving school he became a landscape painter with a man like mr watts the world of desire would have burst differently he was the greatest figure painter england has ever produced with the exception of blake who hardly counts i may say he was the one painter who worked in the grand manner and on great subjects years ago by a happy accident i met him in my studio i remember his handsome face and a certain air as it seemed to me of imperious detachment in his voice also there was a touch of austerity he looked at my pictures without a word till i asked him for his opinion it then came clear frank and to the point i did not tell him what nevertheless was the fact that though i had never seen him before i had been his diligent pupil for years and that from him first i learned the true meaning of painting and why i or indeed any one else had been induced to take up the craft all his days watts was a hermit and a recluse had he loved life and enjoyed it he would have lived in it and painted it as hogarth lived and painted yet he loved his fellow man and sought unweariedly whatever made for his happiness indeed it might be said that he painted because he loved his fellow-man with such a man the world of desire must have burst in some scene that excited his indignation or his pity or his moral admiration and love and from that moment he would become a dreamer who incessantly rebuilds life according to the dictates of a kindled imagination for since the eye finds what it looks for the world of desire becomes in the self-same moment the world of creation the desiring eye is the creating eye the world itself is neither beautiful nor ugly it is a formless vast out of which we create according to our desires new worlds the madman and the poet look out on the same scene but where the one finds ugliness the other finds beauty and the world watts looked out on was the world of men when they suffer 
or when they strive together in serious purpose in speaking of watts i would begin with his portraits as regards these there is no controversy some people harden their hearts against his pictures but no one denies his portraits now it seems to me that the genius of portrait painting is largely a genius for friendship at any rate i am quite sure that the best portraits will be painted where the relation of the sitter and the painter is one of friendship and it considerably helps my argument to know that in watts's case he mostly painted people whom he had himself invited to sit the technique of portrait painting is mainly a technique of interpretation to get the color to model the face adequately this to the practice hand is comparatively easy to so paint that people should perforce see the particular curve the particular shadow and the particular shape of brow or eye that interests the painter here is the true difficulty here the true enjoyment and exquisite triumph of the painter in his early portraits there is little attempt at this interpretation there is indeed the charm of atmosphere never absent from watts's work at any time and there is a very obvious decorative purpose but these early portraits do not grip the attention as the later portraits do because the technique of interpretation is lacking i have heard people say they liked his male portraits better than his portraits of women but i cannot share this preference each in its degree is perfect watts will paint a young lady in fashionable evening attire surely the most modern and up-to-date arrangement possible and he will so paint her so gild her with the heavenly alchemy of his art that she shall appear like a venetian beauty gazing at us from the page of history indeed over all his portraits whether of men or women he spreads a sort of dim religious light so that while painted with dutch realism they yet seem to come to us out of the mists of memory and romance before speaking of his pictures of imagination i will discuss a little the whole purpose of art and artists the moralist says i teach morality without which society would not hold together the trader says i teach trade without which there would be no wealth and life would not be worth living the religious teacher i teach religion without which people would forget that there was another world or a judgment to come and the scientist says i teach truth which is the basis of everything what can the artist say for himself in presence of this congress of teachers before whom we stand silent with hats off in age-long reverence first what is his record he works only to please himself and regards it as the most egregious folly indeed a kind of wickedness to try and please anybody else he admires wrong as often as right at one time he occupies himself with the things of the spirit and again he turns just as eagerly to the things of sense without conscience and without scruple he flatters in turn every passion and every instinct good or bad he will make the unhappy more unhappy and the wicked he will make worse 
he inculcates no lessons and preaches no dogma yet often the noble will become nobler for his companionship he is to be found in every community among the sinners he is a sort of father confessor whose absolution is light so that you may confess all your sins to him and you may still go on sinning he will laugh at the faces of the good finding them guilty of self-complacency of formalism of insincerity of prudence of cowardice of half-heartedness indeed he is often much more respectful to sinners than he is to good people of the earth and withal is it not from the hands of the painter and the poet that as in some royal caprice the hero receives his crown this strange creature with the dubious record what use is he in the scheme of things he seems to stand outside the whole circle of the utilities why there is morality why there is commerce and why there is science and why there is religion these questions are easy to answer but why there are painters and sculptors and poets and musicians is another mystery it is as if you asked me why there are billions of suns rolling through illimitable space among these august teachers the mere artist stands like another lucifer among the angels and yet all these teachers high and mighty though they be pay to the artist continual court and would fain make him one of themselves would indeed rescue him as a very wanton from his bad surroundings and persuade him to live with them always and this partly because human nature is strong within them and they love the craft we practice and partly because they recognize that where men are gathered together the artist that is the poet the painter the musician and the sculptor wields for good or evil the mightiest power on earth where is the theologian that the poet does not help where is the moralist at the present moment here in this exhibition it seems to me that in their astute way the theologian the moralist and even the metaphysician all think that they have patched up an admirable working arrangement with one of the greatest of our artists the titles love and death time death and judgment the temptation of eve the penitence of eve the contrition of cain etc do perhaps explain the facts that in scotland presbyterian ministers crowded the watts gallery and also that here in dublin for the first time in the history of our animated city a splendid collection of pictures has been shown and the voice of detraction and malignant criticism remains silent well do these pictures teach anything has mr watts been captured is he a theologian or a moralist or a metaphysician or is he merely a highly gifted man working out his salvation by way of art take his two pictures of eve in all this collection there are none more poetical in the first of these the temptation what have we a woman in the fullness of her magnificent animalism and we have this animalism in the moment of its highest provocation she seems to curl herself and to quiver with delight as she listens to the whispers of the subtle serpent how voluptuously she leans over to the tempter 
her body elastic with health and vitality it is womanhood it is splendid animalism as yet untouched by conscience or doubt and unchilled by the thoughts of death all about her summer flowers and rich perfumes at her feet a leopard rolls itself a faint echo or reverberation of her vast personality it is the merest sophistry to call this moral teaching it celebrates the deliciousness of temptation as pindar the ancient poet celebrates the wine cup in both these pictures watts celebrates the beauty of the nude and the beauty of the flesh leighton would have painted eve grand and statuesque a figure out of the penumbra of that decorative world where nothing is quite real but this woman colossal and demigod though she be is as real as one of his portraits that of j s mill for instance or the earl of ripon she is so real that you feel almost that you could touch her golden flesh and hear her cries and murmurs of delight while the other eve is so realistically painted that it might be said she weeps audibly next take this picture of paolo and francesca of all pictures in this gallery it is the most complete possibly because his friends liked it and gave him the encouragement all artists need it is at once beautifully imaginative and a piece of charming decoration but these poor guilty lovers these wrecks of humanity these fragments of tenuity afloat on the winds like dead leaves like lightest gossamer teach no moral lesson this picture illustrates afresh the sad fate of true lovers and makes their punishment tender and beautiful i should like to have had john knox's opinion of this picture there was a certain grimness a certain severity in the painter a meeting between these two champions would have been interesting yet we are so hemmed about with difficulty and so bewildered by a multitude of counsellors and have got so much into the pestilent habit of seeking guidance everywhere that one must needs find a moral even in the bosom of a rose therefore although it be quite unnecessary to the true appreciation of art i will reluctantly as it were entirely on my own responsibility pluck some moral guidance from imaginative art if morality frames for our guidance rules of conduct which if we do not obey we are to be punished if it bids us shun temptation and remove temptation from our path and from the paths of all the world art on the contrary seems to say with all its strength and with all its voices seek temptation run to it we are here to be tempted art does not say be happy or be miserable or be wise or be prudent but it says live have it out with fortune don't spare yourself be no laggard or coward have no fear and this also is part of the message abide where watts lived and where the true artist always lived on the high table lands in the unshaded sunshine of intellectual happiness never descending into the valleys 
where hang mist-like the languors and lethargies the low miseries sensualities and adulteries which afflict human nature when it is defeated discouraged disintegrated at the end of this room there is a large picture enormously impressive time death and judgment to be impressive is itself a great artistic merit yet i do not think this is a great picture there is indeed a fine arrangement of color and mass and line yet behind it all there is no energy of conviction time moves forward a striding figure carrying a scythe beside him walks death his wife a weary woman tenderly gathering into her lap the flowers of life above these two figures is judgment these figures are vague and conventional as regards any meaning or intention they might convey if this picture has any meaning it is as if watts had said to himself i am a figure painter and will by my craft of figure painting translate into a picture the kind of pleasing terror which is excited by watching a fine sunset or listening to an oratorio this is not art as michelangelo gave it blake said a picture should be like a lawyer presenting a writ love and death seems much finer it grips the attention at once before the other picture we stand idly pensive but here we want to get at the root of the matter to grope our way into the very heart of the picture there is the naked figure of love wavering falling backwards and then death this huge bulk draped and hooded and horrid is it man is it woman and its face is hidden and is this because it is in the thought of the painter that no one has ever seen the face of death except the piteous dead who carry their knowledge into the grave as regards a famous picture not in this collection the picture called hope i would say that pleasing though it be it owes its success mainly to its faults and that people like it because no one can say exactly what it means a man who really lived by hope a Krapotkin or a william morris would find its vagueness utterly displeasing england likes her artist to preserve a soft indefinite touch because in her world of action and practical effort ideas must not be pushed too far and compromise rules art on the contrary does not like half thoughts she will have a positive yea or nay if thought is not pursued to its furthest burn and limit the picture lacks energy and is without effect in art as in everything else energy is the true solvent in my mind pictures of this kind are meant to hang in the rooms of the idle rich because intended for people who wish without effort to indulge themselves and see all things past present and to come rosily and smilingly however falsely there are artists poets and painters and in this case watts is among them who seem to keep in stock a sort of pharmacopoeia of drugs and opiates and soothing mixtures to be served out as required michelangelo owed his terribleness 
his black melancholy to the fact that in his pride he would not accept any soothing mixtures he faced all the facts of life now let me say a word in reply to those who are so ready to point out defects in watt's technique to find fault is easy is at all times easy in this vivacious city it is a special accomplishment where indeed everyone has learned logic but no one has learned enthusiasm and few care for the ideal or for poetry in answer to these people i would enter a plea of confession and avoidance granted all they say about these faults i would ask in all the role of english painters is there one who would have given us that magnificent eve of the temptation how royally she leans forward as she stoops to her fate what swing and what pose in her movement in the strain in the ecstasy of her sinning every nerve and every muscle seems to tremble not malay nor leighton nor alma tadema far more accomplished artists than watts could have done it nor reynolds nor gainsborough nor van dyke none of these men had the technique to do what watts has here done watts triumphs by his technique but it has not been always so in watts's work when not roused to great exertion by his theme he fell away into carelessness and into haste you see this man who lived so long a life had such a teeming mind that his hands could not work fast enough and here let me allude for a moment to watts the man all accounts that have reached us represent him as singularly humble and modest it was so with michelangelo and it is so with all men who work among great ideas when the last judgment was finished and all italy burst into praise and princes cardinals and poets vied with each other in presenting homage michelangelo waved them off with scorn if he said i carried paradise in my bosom these words would be too much and he wrote in reply to one of them i am merely a poor man working in the art god has given me and trying to lengthen out my life when an artist or poet gives himself airs puts on side as we say it is because like lord byron he is working away from great ideas and because in all simplicity and good faith he finds nothing which asks his reverence nothing greater than his own fortunes and his own sensations art for art's sake is for those who hate life as many poets do or who hate ideas as again many poets do the great artist is also a man like unto ourselves and great personality is the material out of which is woven all his art now let me offer most respectfully a startling opinion i think that as a religious painter watts failed and that he failed because he was bound to fail the spiritual world is as much with us as it was with the people of the fifteenth and sixteenth centuries but we seek to explore its recesses by tabulated observation by sequences of thought by scientific guesses 
and carefully planned experiments things not to be expressed in pictorial or plastic forms even though michelangelo has said everything might be expressed as sculpture is it that nature never repeats herself she has produced her religious painter his day is over and watts was trying to do what was impossible in those far-off days people believed and actually with the most vivid realization believed at one and the same time in angels archangels and saints and gods and goddesses and prophets and sibyls and fiends of the underworld and all the machinery of the supernatural including angels such as that which watts has painted in the picture love and life and the painter who painted these images worked under the exacting criticism of an alert and expectant people now in place of these beautiful or terrible personages we have substituted the forces of nature examine his picture called love and life it is a vast subject the whole mind of the civilized world is groping away among its problems but this picture is wholly inadequate life is represented as a feeble mendicant sort of creature blindly stumbling up rocky stairs this is a poor image of life milton would have scorned it watts should have remembered his own eve and love is represented as a strong angel it is precisely because love is not a strong angel that all the trouble is upon us if this picture of hope should be placed in a lady's boudoir this picture should hang in the cabinets of those who think life is to be saved merely by the clasping of hands and turning eyes heavenward in eve's repentance there is a cold light bursting through the blue clouds and shining over the back and shoulders we have here the old venetian harmony of blue and yellow and white and because of it in some subtle way we have an enhanced sense of the warmth of the palpitating naked flesh but bless you this is not all by this light breaking through the clouds what symbolizes that there is redemption for sinners and who is interested compare this symbolism with that of michelangelo's picture where the just created and half awakened adam raises his arm in superb languor to receive divine knowledge by the touching of god's forefinger i do not here include the picture love and death because it does not seem to me in any sense a religious picture it suggests no dogma nor mystical theory nor is there any kind of sentiment the artist by his labor has placed before us in monumental effectiveness certain facts now and always with us it is a great picture but it is not a religious picture watts is a portrait painter beyond all praise he is singular among all painters for the interest he imparts to his subject before most portraits people stand and say what dull things portraits are why are they ever exhibited or perhaps they say what a clever painter but what an ugly man to paint in presence of a watts we are interested in a face 
we feel liking or aversion or a tantalizing curiosity in watts's portraits craftsmanship attains its perfection because here he worked in an atmosphere of exacting criticism everyone understands a portrait and the stupidest is interested when it is his own portrait when watts painted his imaginative work it was done in an atmosphere of polite indifference it is a strange paradox that watts lived surrounded by the most distinguished and intellectual society of his time and yet he worked in solitude when he went wrong there was no one to tell him and when he was right equally there was no response they were interested in the artist but not in his art this lofty-minded recluse who labored by his painting to give the world great thoughts impressed those cultivated worldings they were interested in the man but neither in his thoughts nor in his pictures at a private view in the grosvenor gallery a friend of mine overheard watts saying to a lady every one is interested in my velvet coat but no one asks me about my pictures it was not so in ancient italy when michelangelo at the imperious command of the impetuous pope julius uncovered half his work on the ceiling of the sistine chapel he stood to receive the judgment of a people who were superstitious ignorant men of violence men of war homicidal but each one of them impassioned for art italy says the spanish painter to michelangelo produces the best art because italians hate mediocrity we are clay in the hands of the potter we may affect to be proud and solitary as lucifer but in vain the artist gives that he may receive to seek sympathy and desire companionship is as instinctive as hunger and thirst to the true artist exacting criticism is comforting as mother's love and wanting this exacting criticism watts fell away into slackness of work and of thought we can only say that had he lived in dublin his fate would have been worse indifference however polite and respectful is bad but destructive criticism kills there was once a small but mighty nation now numerous as the sands of the seashore and no longer so interesting to this nation was born a poet and they made him the poet of all time they took him and taught him all they knew and they had great things to teach and when at their command he made great dramas they stood at his elbow and everything they gave him he gave back to them tenfold england was then shakespeare's land the poet is always amongst us the difficulty is how to find him he is like the proverbial needle in a bundle of hay but one thing is certain logicians without love will not find him they leave a desolation and call it peace nay they call it culture critics of this sort will allow nothing to exist except themselves no i am wrong there is one thing they admire more even than themselves 
the fate accompli a mundane success had watts been born in dublin he would have read for the indian civil and perhaps passed j b yeats r h a nineteen o seven end of chapter seven recording by john brandon end of essays irish and american by john butler yeats